0: If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback underneath the seat in front of you. You're more than welcome to grab one of those and turn with me to John chapter 16. I believe you'll find it on page 903 on these black hardbacks. Welcome to First Colony. Um, My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor at the church, and uh, we're glad that you have joined us this morning. Things are a little different. Um, Our worship pastor, uh, Chris Henderson, is out of town, so we want to thank Sam for leading us, Sam and Trevor uh, for taking over um, in videos and worship. Um, we're happy to have Michelle back. She was on a trip uh, last week. Um, we'll be back to full strength next week, and so um, we're excited about that. Uh, we uh, also are a little short on AC this morning, so I'm trying to put together the signs. Okay, It's real hot in the sanctuary. I'm actually going to DC tomorrow, um, which some people would consider a form of hell. Uh, or or maybe Hell on Earth, Washington, D.C. And so I'm like, okay, am I supposed to be preaching on hell this morning? Is this the signs coming together for this, or should I stick with with the script, with the series that we're going to do? I'm going to stick with this. We're starting a series this morning called Ghost Protocol. Um, That's really the only mission possible reference we'll make, okay? Uh, I wanted to rappel down for this first sermon. The board told me I couldn't. They said I was too heavy, which I heard as the beams weren't strong enough, okay? (laughs) I'm perfect. just the structure isn't built right for this. Um, So that's it. Ghost Protocol. We're going to be exploring the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks, and I am very excited uh, for this series. Um, Like I said, I am leaving tomorrow morning to go to D.C., which presents to me a problem, Uh, the problem of packing. I'm a horrible, horrible packer. when I rank problems, okay, existential crisis that I go through, the problem of evil is up there, and the problem of packing is up there, right alongside it, okay? Because I just can't pack. I am a classic overpacker. So I'll go on a trip, and everybody else will somehow manage to bring a duffel bag, and I'll have like four suitcases, I'll rent like a little U-Haul trailer, okay, I've got to have everything, and no matter how much I overpack, I still manage to forget something, I'll get up there and I'll be without like the one key thing I needed for this trip, like the one thing that you had to bring with this trip you don't have. Um, And I think it stems back to an experience in my life where I was heading up with a youth group to a place called Red Cloud, um, which is this this adventure wilderness camp in. Uh, Colorado. And so it was a few years ago here at the church. Um, we had a youth pastor at the time, named Adam, and, and he had just started. And so I'd helped him plan this trip. We were talking about 10 kids up to Colorado for this adventure. And it the whole thing was just kind of problematic. Um, the planning was rough. Getting kids <laughs> scheduled was rough. Getting parents signatures on this or that was rough. Communicating with the camp was rough. And so Red Cloud kind of turned into this euphemism, the synonym for just like a big mistake, right? Like something that's really... To this day, Michelle can confirm. I was just like, this whole thing is a red cloud. This this is just not working out for us. Um, So we were trying to communicate to the kids. We had all this kind of information. None of us had ever done this before. So we're telling them, look, you're going to, or I'm told, okay, that we told the kids this. You're gonna need to be in like, good physical shape for this, okay? This is gonna be something that's gonna test you, okay? So maybe run a couple miles, all right? Lay off the cheeseburgers. Just get in the right mindset for going up on this wilderness camp. It's going to be kind of cold up there. Um, so bring the right clothes, pack appropriately, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they'll give you a sleeping bag, you need a pillow, this or this or that. So we, we do all this. We communicate all that. And then we go on the trip. And we're traveling up. And as we're traveling up, I am starting to realize that I'm horribly unprepared for this trip. Um, and, and so by that I mean as we're getting up there, it's getting colder and colder and colder as we're driving. I'm starting to think, good grief, how cold is it going to get? and I start running through my packing and what's in my suitcase, and I realize I was not prepared to be in cold weather. Um, and it's cold in Colorado in the summer. Um, at night, it gets really, really, really cold. And when I say not prepared, I mean I had swimming suits and tank tops. I didn't have shirts with sleeves. Sun's out, guns out was my policy, okay? I didn't have pants. I didn't have a jacket. Somehow I forgot a pillow. And I really wasn't in shape, okay? The, the Chick-fil-A milkshake diet was not a recommended one for the process. Um, and so we get up there and we have to stop at Walmart. I have to pretty much pack a new suitcase from Walmart. We get up there, it's miserably cold. It's super hard and, and kind of athletic during the week. Um, my body is just not ready for this. And I can remember during the week, um, Janelle Henderson kind of pulls me aside. And, and Janelle was helping out with the YouTube as well. If you know Janelle, this will make sense to you. Janelle is very detail-oriented and very planning, preparing, and I am the opposite of that, and together we'd make the perfect youth pastor, because I just don't really care, and do crazy things, and Janelle has all the rules, and knows all the plans, and is very prepared for every, every scenario, and so Janelle pulls me aside and goes, how in the world did you forget to bring cold clothes? i mean, I don't know. And she goes, and how in the world did you forget to bring a, a pillow to sleep on? I go, I don't know. She goes, and how in the world did you show up like this? You can't walk up a flight of stairs. And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) It just all kind of happened. It all kind of happened. So I overpack. And so I'm leaving on DC and I'm faced with this problem. What do I need? What do I need to pack to be prepared for this trip? What are the essentials? What what can I do without? And what do I really need to make sure I have for what's going to be required ahead of me? Now, I bring this up because um, in some ways that experience is... Uh, similar to my experience as a Christian in regards to the Holy Spirit. By that I mean, I grew up in a church and an environment, a Christian environment, that neglected to some extent the reality and the experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, And this continued even into my ministry, uh, even here at the church. I think if you've been at the church for a while, you've noticed in the past three years or so, there's been more of an emphasis on the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, we've tried to mention the Spirit more. We've, we've been taking little baby steps to get into that. A lot of that is because of my personal transformation. Um, it happened a couple ways. Uh, as I was finishing my master's degree, uh, I was studying the early church and early church theology. and They were all about the Spirit and all about the Trinity. And so I was kind of immersed in this whole new world. And I was kind of realizing the importance of it um, and kind of realizing how off maybe some of us were, how, how some of our kind of theology and church talk didn't quite match up with the early church's theology and church talk. We were also preaching through the book of Acts at that time. I don't know if you remember this, about a year, year and a half ago. And I kept noticing in Acts, um, as the story of the church, because we wanted to explore the early church and kind of see what the difference was between the early church and between us. And we kept saying, all over the place was the Holy Spirit. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the early church. But you could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it's really like a documentary of what the Spirit's doing, where he's taking these people, what he's leading them to do, where he's guiding them to go. And I came to the conclusion that that maybe the biggest difference between the early church and the kind of power that they walked in, the kind of transformation the world saw because of them and us is the presence and the reality and the experience of the Spirit. And I I started to wonder if maybe we've neglected the Spirit. And, and, And as I read through acts and read through more of the scriptures and looked more at church history i started having this thought how could we have possibly forgotten i mean how could this have dropped out of our language how could this have dropped out of our our vocabulary how could this have dropped out of our day-to-day christian experience we'll look at a passage this morning in john 16 um, where jesus uh, talks about the spirit and he makes it quite clear how important the spirit is um, that there if there's no spirit you really don't have christianity I mean, you don't have the kind of life that we're called to. There's, there's no way we can kind of forget this and move on. Um, so we can say this this morning as we get started. Um, what I came to realize and want to communicate through this series is that a spiritless Christianity is a religion devoid of Jesus, lacking in power, and with no hint of the kingdom of God around it. And a spiritless Christian life, a life not characterized by the experience and practice and participation in the Holy Spirit, is like this experiment in futility and frustration where you kind of know what you're supposed to do and want to do, but you can't really ever get there. And a spiritless church is not a group of Jesus followers living in community. It's a club at best. A spiritless church. not a church that just and responds to the whims and the leadings of the Spirit. It's a group that does best business practices and sells Jesus to a consumer market. We research and we plan. The early church didn't research and plan. The Spirit picked them up and moved them. The Spirit was something that happened to them. And they just responded. They just felt it. They just went with it. Um, Now, I think there are a lot of ways, maybe we've reasons why we've kind of left the spirit behind a little bit. And and this is, again, in my experience growing up, and I think the larger church culture around us. Um, I think if you sat through a church service, you might come to the conclusion that Christians are actually more binarian than Trinitarian. Which is to say, in most, the average kind of evangelical church like us around here, you'll hear a lot about God, God the Father, a lot about Jesus... But very little about the Spirit. Um, at least in proportion to the importance placed in the scriptures and, and in the experience of the, the church. Um, a lot about God, a lot about the Son, but, but not that much about the Spirit. If the Spirit's mentioned, he's kind of mentioned as this, this offhand reference. Um, some have called the Spirit, he's like the, um, I don't know if you have this in your family, he's like the, the awkward family member, like the blue sheep, right, who shows up and makes everyone feel weird. I don't know if you, if you don't know who that is. It's probably you and your family. Okay? But, but they show up, right? Okay? Something happens. They drink too much. Who knows? And then it's like, oh, things just got really weird. That's the, kind of the Holy Spirit. He shows up to the church. People are speaking in tongues. People are getting healed. And it's just kind of, it's kind of weird for us. He shows up and things kind of get out of our control. Maybe one reason we're scared, maybe one reason we left the Spirit behind is because there's this control thing in the church. Um, we like to, again, research and market and plan. And the Spirit doesn't always operate that way. He does operate through those things, but sometimes the Spirit changes your plans. Sometimes the Spirit takes control out of your hands. Um, maybe perhaps we've been afraid because we've seen misuse or abuse under the name of the Holy Spirit. And I would agree. There, there are people who take the Spirit, um, and, and while there are people who ignore the Holy Spirit, there are people who take it probably to the extreme on the other side, right? And perhaps have some damaging things going on under the name of the Holy Spirit, um, you can be assured, okay, we're not going to turn into this weird church, all right, handling snakes up here and that kind of thing. Um, we're going to explore the Holy Spirit, but but we're going to remain within conservative, orthodox Christianity, okay? Um, we're going to see what the, the Bible has to say about this. Um, I think this is the big difference between the life that's promised to us and the life that, that perhaps some of us are missing out. So, we're in John 16. Um, again, in this series, we want to explore the important importance of the personal work of the Spirit, um, talk about our experience, expectations, how we can participate in his work. Um, And then this morning in particular, I want to just set up the series. Uh, So explore how important the Spirit is to the Christian life, to what Jesus had planned for you and I as Christians who are going to follow him. Um, And then from there, we'll spend the rest of our time looking at various things about the Spirit over the next five weeks. So John 16, if you have your scriptures, read with me. We'll pick it up in verse 4. John 16, verse 4. This is part of what's called um, the high priestly prayer um, from John 14 to 17. A very important chunk of scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he is crucified. This is kind of like his last minute gathering with his disciples. We'll look at a couple passages. I would encourage you throughout the week to read through the whole thing um, from 14 to 17. Um, So John 16, verse 4, we'll pick it up. This is Jesus speaking. I have said these things to you, to the disciples, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, to the Father. I'm going to the Father. Jesus has revealed to them that he is leaving them. He'll be crucified and he'll return to the Father's side. I've said that I'm going in who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Verse 6, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So the disciples hear that Jesus is, is going back to the Father, and they're confused and scared, and above all else, they're sad. They've been following this man for the last three years of their lives. They've left everything behind. They're totally committed to him. And he's saying, this is kind of our last time together. I'm leaving. I'm not going to be with you anymore. I mean, you can think about if, if you had someone who's very, very close to you, a family member or a friend, perhaps you've been in that situation and you know your time with them is short and the kind of sorrow that overtakes you. And that's what the disciples are feeling. But Jesus says this, and it's remarkable, verse 7, if you have a highlighter, underliner, this is where we're going to key in here. He says, nevertheless, even though you're sad, even though you're sorrowful because I'm leaving, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is going to be better for you as Christians, better for you as people who are following me, better for you as people who are experiencing and working out the kingdom if I leave here. Very interesting statement. I would underline, highlight, circle, scratch in that advantage there. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, the comforter, the advocate... It's a title Jesus uses in John for the Holy Spirit. He will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whoever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will declare me. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus says, it's to your advantage. It's going to be better for you if I leave. The Spirit's going to come and he'll continue my work. He'll, he'll, he'll bring to remembrance all the things that I've taught you. He'll carry you forward into the truth. He'll keep you focused on me. He's going to glorify me. But it's better for you if I leave and the Spirit comes. Now, here's the question I would have for you. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that it's better for us as Christians that Jesus is not physically here present with us? Because I would, I would have to imagine that, that if you didn't kind of know what the series was about and could guess the answer, and I asked you, hey, how much easier would it be to be a Christian if Jesus was actually here? We could all probably think of some pros I can think of a lot of pros. I can think of a lot of reasons why it would be easier for me to be a Christian if Jesus was physically here. I can tell you what, if Jesus is is like walking beside me, like a a Jewish man, right? This is Jesus walking beside me. I think I'm going to do a lot better handling temptation, right? Like I just think that I'm going to be more careful with the words that come out of my mouth. If he's in my passenger seat, I think I'm going to be driving a little bit differently. Ten and four, Okay. (laughs) Turn my blanket on at all times. I just think it's going to be easier. I think witnessing or evangelizing would be so much easier, right? I mean, I'm a pastor. I get nervous talking to people or strangers about Jesus. We're called to do it. We're called to share the good news. How much easier it would be literally to go, Hey, Michelle, meet Jesus. I mean, that's just so much easier. That's so much better. Or, or think about, I think it would be easier to preach, right? I would get a, a chair for Jesus to sit on right here behind me, and he'd kind of be like my hype man. He'd be like nodding mind. me, be like, you better listen. He's, he's, he's not in here. This is Jesus. I think it would be easier. I think in some ways it would be better. But Jesus says here, it's better for you if I go. It's better for you if I go to the Father because I'm sending you the Spirit. And this is going to be more beneficial to you as you seek to follow me. To conform to my life, to my teachings, to work for my kingdom that I have inaugurated, that I've started, that I've established. Very, very interesting. I mean, have you ever thought through that logic? Why is Jesus not here anymore? Why didn't he set up this, this, this kingdom perfectly? Why didn't he stay? Wouldn't things be easier? I think maybe one of the reasons, beyond the fact that we, we get the Holy Spirit here, is, is humans have this tendency, we have this nature to make things into a circus, and so, so I think if, if Jesus would have stayed physically present here with us, um, perhaps we would have tried to franchise them. I mean, this happens during his lifetime, right? People try to force him to be a king in a way he doesn't want to be. Um, even after he's resurrected and talks to the disciples about the kingdom, they say they're still misunderstood. In Acts 1, they say, is this the time you're going to set up the kingdom of Israel and make us the best nation? He goes, no, you don't, you don't get it. I mean, I can't even imagine the craziness that would go on right now if Jesus was around, right? Other churches would be jealous that he was at FCQ. <laughs> I mean, Sugar Creek would be like, what's the deal there? We're missing out. First Baptist, why is he over there? All right. I mean, there's just one, one body, one person, 24 hours to go around. The, the, the lawsuits over who could sell and patent the name and the phrases, I mean, it would all be crazy. It would be the circus, we don't have Jesus physically here present with us, and we still do this, Christians do, over like rocks that we guess Jesus walked on thousands of years ago, right? People make pilgrimages and kiss them and, and do all these things and fight over them. We would make a circus. And I think if Jesus stayed here physically, bodily, the kingdom would have a hard time keeping its shape. We just say that the kingdom of God that Jesus brings is characterized by love, and service and self-sacrifice. It's cruciform. It's cross-shaped. It's not characterized by government, power, coercion. Wow. It's characterized by patience and small seeds. And perhaps if Jesus said he knew, he knew the character would have a, the kingdom would have a hard time keeping that shape. Um, but he says it's better. It's better. Why? Because you're getting the spirit. The spirit's going to come and it's going to be better for you um, because you'll be able to be more equipped to follow me, to remember my teachings, to do what I've asked you to do. Um, in John 14, Jesus says that you'll actually do greater works um, than I have, which is another astounding passage, another astounding phrase. Jesus did some amazing things. We're going to do greater works than Jesus. The, the word there in the Greek for greater um, can mean more impressive or it can mean just more. I think it means more. Right? I don't think it means we're going to out-impress Jesus. Right? Like, he resurrected, but watch what I can do. I think the idea is, is millions of people can do more than one person can. And what Jesus is offering and giving through the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the presence of, of God, the power of God. To every believer, in the same way that it characterized his own life. Jesus' life (coughs) of God, the Gospel says, characterized by the presence and the filling of the Spirit. The Spirit's on him, working through him, um, out at all junctures. Jesus says, That that you saw on me, I'm giving to all of you. My first executive action as Lord in Acts 2, the first thing he does when he gets into office on the throne at the Father's right hand, he goes, Spirit. And the Spirit fills up the church, and it's beneficial, it's to their advantage. Look in John um, chapter 14, just flip back a page or two. John 14, we'll pick it up in verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So, so three things that are going to be really important in this passage. The first one is another helper. I would underline that or circle that. Another helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells, here's the second one, with you. He dwells with you. And will be, and here's our third important part, in you. He dwells with you, and he dwells in you. There's this another helper here. Um, in English, we have one word, another. In, in Greek, there are two words that we only have one word to express. So another can mean a couple different things. Um, if I say, I'm going to get you another car, I could mean the same model of car, right? Another of the same. Or I could mean another in the sense of a different one. Does that make sense? Uh, so if you have a Toyota, I can say, I'm going to get you another car. Another Toyota. Or I can say, I'm going to get you another car, like a, a, a Mazda or Honda. I don't know a lot about cars, right? But those are different, I think. So you have those two words here. The, the word here in the Greek for another helper is, is one that expresses similarity. It's one of the same kind. Jesus is a helper, a apparently an advocate, a comforter. And he says, I'm going to give you another one just like me. With my same characteristics, my same properties. In fact, John 14, this section is very Trinitarian passage. So Jesus talks a lot about the Father and a lot about the Holy Spirit. And it's hard to tell where one of them starts and one of them ends all the time. I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I am in you, and you are in me, and the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of you. We'll talk in the coming weeks of how we make sense of this, this idea that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For now, though, just notice how important it is. So I'm sending you another advocate and it's better for you because now I'm not going to be localized. My presence, my power, my comfort isn't going to be localized in the body but it will be with all of you and it will be in all of you. The spirit of God dwelling inside of you, filling up your mortal body, playing in your bloodstreams, firing in your neurons. A question for you, when you hear this, this talk, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, he'll come and he'll be in you. What reaction does it elicit in you? Is it, that's cool, yawn? Or is it, wow, what in the world? I mean, how incredible, how how, how much more does it get than that? You can understand what he says, it's going to be better for you. No longer are you going to have God with you, walking beside you, but God's going to be inside of you. He's going to fill you up and transform you from the inside out. His power and presence will be with you in a way that it's not even with you when I'm here. It's going to be as close to your heart and mind as it could possibly be. It will transform you from the inside out. The Spirit of God inside of us, within us. I think sometimes we're so inoculated to the language of Jesus is in our hearts that we miss out on kind of the extraordinary claim that's being made here with, with the spirit inside of us. We, we read it in our, our lectionary reading this morning, our scripture reading. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you, so he too will give life to your mortal bodies through that same spirit. I mean, imagine if, so I'm an average basketball player, okay? By that I mean... If you saw me playing basketball, it would look like I knew what I was doing, right? It would look like, yeah, that, he's playing basketball, okay? That's not true for me for all sports, all right? And that's not true for everybody with basketball, right? Sometimes you see people and they're just like, ugh, and you're like, I don't think that's exactly basketball, um, but I'm, I'm average, okay, I'm mediocre, right? I, know, I know what I'm supposed to do, I can't always execute it, right? But I can kind of look like I'm playing. Um, I'm not great, okay? In high school, I maybe had one or two games that you could call good. I'm an average basketball player, I know what I'm doing. What if I told you though? Um, We're in the NBA free agency season, which is an exciting time. Um, Lots of big things have been happening. If you're an NBA fan, if you're a Rockets fan, we've kind of been screwed uh, the past couple days. We were a championship contender for five hours, and then we we went back into mediocrity. Um, What if I told you that I had an experience, and the spirit, the power, the presence, the skills, the abilities, of LeBron James have come into me. I'm now possessed, in a sense, by the spirit of LeBron James. (laughs) I now can do things that can only be explained by having the same abilities as LeBron James. You would think, one, I'm crazy. Er, than normal, I guess. And then, two, you'd be like, I'm really interested to see the next pickup game. Right? Because that's where the proof's going to come, right? That, this is where we're really going to see this. Now, if I step out on the court and start doing things that a 5'9 white boy should not be doing, you might be like, holy, holy crap, LeBron James is inside of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but if I get out there and I'm average, what are you going to think? What a lie. What a big lie. And I wonder sometimes if that's maybe one of the reasons we shy away from the spirit. It's because we we don't want to be called out. And we don't want to call God out. And we're worried that that maybe some of us are lying. We're worried that, that we claim to have the Spirit, but if you would put us up right next to someone else who didn't have the Spirit, it doesn't look like there's something unexplainable there. It doesn't look like there's a transformation there. The Spirit of God dwells inside of us the spirit is so important for the christian faith jesus tells disciples don't try to do this on your own wait for the spirit He says, i'm sending you the spirit it's better for you to have the spirit after he ascends he says just sit there and wait for it don't go you're gonna make a mess there's all kinds of stuff to go do i get it but just wait you need this power you need this presence you need this experience of the spirit it's, it's a central feature of the kingdom from the very beginning. John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing you in water, but there's going to come a day when a king will come who's building a kingdom who will baptize you in the spirit and with fire. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the spirit. His first his act, action is to give the spirit to his people. And then his people go crazy. They, they flip the world upside down, doing things that are unexplainable, doing things that can only be explained by saying, that's the power and presence of God working through them. The Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life, to following Jesus, to being like Jesus, to, to working and building for his kingdom. A spiritless Christianity is a religion without <coughs> Jesus, without power, devoid of the kingdom of God. And a spiritless Christian life is just this experiment and futility and frustration. And pointlessness. And a spiritless church, whatever it might be, club, social status, it's not a group of people who were being led into the future on mission for Jesus. I mean, some of us, I think, are, if you're like me, you you get discouraged in your life and and you get scared in your Christian life and you, and you wonder if you can do this and there, there seems like maybe too many uphill battles for you and you feel like sometimes you're alone and you feel like sometimes you're missing some of the things that, that, that you need some of the tools you need you see other Christians around you and, and, and you, you wonder I'm just never going to get to that level um, again maybe like a, a basketball player right? you can be on the court I can know what I would need to do to be a better basketball player but I just can't do it right? I can, I can see someone else do it and I can just go, whatever reason, I don't have those skills, I'll never get there. I'll never be that fast. I know to be fast and run that way, I just can't execute it. And we look at other Christians and we go, I don't, I don't understand how they, they do that. I don't understand how they walk in that kind of power. I don't understand how they, they experience those kind of things. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You've got the Spirit. I'm not leaving you as orphans. You've got a counselor. You've got a comforter. You've got one who will come and give you gifts, will develop fruit in your life. I think... All of us at some point need encouragement, need the joy of the Spirit, need the peace of the Spirit, need the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We were never meant to try the Christian life on our own. And if we if we do, I think eventually, hopefully, we'll find ourselves asking how how did we forget about the Holy Spirit? How do we forget to pack? How do we forget that we were going to need this on our journey? We're going to need something beyond us, more powerful than us, working through us, that we can't control, that we're at the mercy of. Creating wonders in our lives and, and through our lives. For for too many Christians, I think, um, we're neither super nor natural. Our lives are explainable. When the Spirit comes into a person, into a community, unexplainable things start happening. God thinks start happening now um throughout the series we're going to be exploring this okay i intentionally kind of stretch out the series for five weeks so that we can kind of take our time i'm not going to be able to answer every question every week there's going to be some loose ends sometimes um i'm just kind of trying to set the stage this morning we'll, we'll be talking about who the spirit is exactly how do we think about him with the father and the son what do we think about the fruits and how should we experience and think about the gifts and there's some controversial things that go along with the spirit um and, and we'll work our way through all of that but for, for this morning what i want us to recognize is that. Um, We need the Spirit, and we need the Spirit in a powerful, (laughs) tangible way in our lives if we're to have any shot at being faithful to Christ. And I think for many of us, again, if you're like me or from my background, our experience of the Holy Spirit has been one of fear, and one of unclarity, and one of it doesn't do this, and it doesn't do this, and it doesn't do this, and it won't do this, instead of actually being filled up being moved and experiencing new and unusual and powerful things. So what I want to see this morning as we end is I, I want to give us some time, just a, a minute or two, to to pray by ourselves and then I'll I'll pray for us together. Um, and ask the Lord if if you self-feel to fill you up with the Spirit. To help you experience the Spirit in a new powerful, more intense way. Now here's, we'll talk about this again throughout the series. Um, I don't believe that you can be a Christian without the Spirit, okay? So I don't think there's this two-class Christianity where you're a believer, but you're waiting for the Spirit. Uh, I think the scriptures are clear. No one says Jesus is Lord without the Spirit, except through the Spirit. Um, But I, I also know that Paul talking to believers will say, walk with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, as if a believer cannot be walking with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And in the book of Acts, the, the believers are um, believers but have the experience of a, a filling of the Spirit and an experience of, of this power and presence of God come close to them multiple times. And um, It's not something that happens once in their life that they ride off of for the rest of their life. There's, there's times, I think, that we can get desensitized to the Spirit, um, that we can get confused, that we can get um, kind of off track here, distracted. Um, so, so, so I want us to to, to pray this morning and pray for um, the Spirit to come and, and and speak to us and move in us and start to reveal things to us and make Him more powerful and present and tangible and real in our lives in ways that maybe we haven't experienced before. Um, so, um, just a couple minutes, and I'll, I'll allow you to pray by yourselves, and then I'll close us off in prayer. Father, we 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 love you, and we thank you for your Son, and, and we. Um,